This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on today's episode. We were talking about teaching empathy through travel. Former war correspondent Zoltan was in hand as he talked about what he has been learning with his son. Asking, do you really have an anxiety problem or are you just a bit worried? Dr. Johannes on hand and we were exploring as we broadcasted live from Blue Waters, this part of town. And it was Madeleine Mendy, family lawyer extraordinaire on hand to guide us through the topic of divorce in the UAE. And of course, take your questions too. We are talking anxiety this half hour, helping you out with some clarifications, of course, taking any questions. And who better to guide us through? There's a man who's so passionate about sharing his knowledge, whether that is through books, through television. He is Germany's leading YouTube doctor, Dr. Johann Wimmer, with us live. Um, thank you so, so much for being with us. How are you? Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm great seeing you being here. It's fantastic. There's so much trouble going on here. It's, uh, it's a good atmosphere here. It is. It's, um, it's a really interesting time to be talking about anxiety. I think as we come out of the pandemic, I feel like conversations have changed an awful lot amongst us adults, but also how we relate to our children. And it was Children's Mental Health Week last week. Um, And you're really, really passionate and interested in making health and health topics feel accessible and breaking down that jargon. How do you feel like the conversation has changed about anxiety since you certainly started working in the field? What I really love is that people start to talk about it um, and they uh, they are able to open up about it, especially men. Um, you know, usually you feel like mental health is like a pure female topic. Um, that's not true. It, many, many, uh, you know, disorders or challenges actually affect men more than women, but they simply don't talk about it. Um, leading to serious problems in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I really love people talking about it, opening up about it, and, and understanding that it's not always like this, a burden which you wouldn't be able to get rid of uh, in your life. So, so the good thing about mental health disorders or challenges is that I'm, I'm absolutely positive about being able to treat it. So, so you can treat it. You just have to start at some point. I think there's the confusion for many is do I have anxiety or am I just worried about stuff? And this is something I think we've seen kids, but certainly teens maybe over-medicalize what they're experiencing. Would you mind speaking to that, doctor? Yeah, that's the thing. So so I think you really have to start to, to understand you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing being anxious? And, and it's, it's a thin line between being anxious and being worried um, and not doing things because you're anxious and worried. So, so I always like to give examples. So, for instance, anxiety of, let's start with fear. Fear is a good thing. We wouldn't be, you know, here today if we hadn't had fear. And it's not about pre- pr- protecting us from doing stupid things like jumping off a cliff. It's, it's really sharpening our senses. So if we go back to the old ages, you and I, we walk through the woods and all of a sudden there's this big bear in front of us, not there to hug us uh, so, so you you need fear to be activated yeah or you hear a you know a, a stick snap you don't f- first think oh that's my best friend <laughs> but that that's actually yeah that's a good thing that the the stick snap would be the next level being like anxious or or learning from fear so mm. when whenever you know whenever you hear a stick snap and it's always the bear then you hear the stick snap and and you are alert in that moment which is before you see it so that's a good thing the problem is i mean if we look around dubai or wherever now there's no bears so so um, we still 
carry those instincts in us mm -hmm. um, and we do have the tendency to worry it's it's natural but the thing is if we trigger it or if we lead it to the wrong directions then it be, it's becoming bothersome and if if you're you know not able to leave your house because you you worry too much about yourself if you're very worried because your kids leave the house and you're like you know your worries are wearing you down then you're then you have a situation where you should need or get help can you have um, much like some someone might have situational depression Can you have situational anxiety that might resolve itself in Absolutely, time? yes. Absolutely, yes. We actually know from clinical studies that most of us will get um, uh, these, you know, as you said, episodes or, or certain times in our lives, but we'll grow out of them again. Um, also with young people, kids and teenagers, um, as a parent, it's very difficult to see, you know, are they, are they stuck in it or will they grow out of it? Um, and it's a good thing to experience certain emotions. Um, to, to It's like a map, so you navigate yourself around the map and, you know, it's a good thing that we know how fear feels like and it's a good thing to know what worrying feels like it's just not supposed to dominate our lives it's not to stop us doing anything I think that's an interesting point there about being a parent you know our role as a parent is not to be there's lots of different parenting styles that get bandied around now but one of the most recent one is being a snowplow parent so pushing all obstacles and difficulties out of your child's way so they don't need to experience anything negative or worrying inducing That's yeah but you know then, then think ahead think you know if, if you want to do that think just think it through um, mm. and then think of an 18 year old kid of yours And, and you took all the burdens in life away from them. How are they supposed to function? Exactly. Yeah. If you've got any questions, and I've got a couple coming in through for uh, Dr. Johan here, um, you can do that on 4001. You don't have to put your name on it or not. Um, message here from Pretty saying, does the doctor think that labels for children, e.g. anxiety, are useful or harmful? Labels? So saying you have anxiety. Oh, I don't like labels. Uh, in German, we say you, you're being put into drawers. Um, that's also what I don't like in psychiatry, and I worked you know, tremendously much in psychiatry. I don't like diagnoses in a way that um, they usually don't help people because your diagnosis can be totally different from another one's, but you need it to, you know, to, to get you know, work with health insurance, etc. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm, I do not like labels, no. Um, I would rather say you know, that um, you have certain... Every personality is, has a mix of certain traits, um, so a trait would be something, you know, and then sometimes you could say that, yeah, you know, m my child has a tendency in a certain situation to react in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, I would rather say this than, yeah, my my, you know, my kid, my has, kid anxiety. has anxiety. Yeah, you just it's like a it's like a stamp or like you know just. You know. But, but interestingly, and I've I've heard this from a number of friends who've got teenagers. There seems to be I don't want to say trend, but maybe a tribalism of wanting to belong, of but wanting to say I have this diagnosis, I have this label. I, I get this treatment um, or special treatment because of what I have and who I am. And I think that's a, it's a, it's a very slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, but still it's, it's okay for teenagers to... to, to uh, it's like dressing, you know, d d uh, let them try it out. Let, let them try it. Um, if it, They will get bored of it at one point, and usually they try it to to mirror you in a way, either to show you that, you know, it's, it's really pissing them off that you have it uh, as a trait, or that they try to get away from uh, um, being, uh, excuse my pardon, I, I get to sometimes a bit of a foul language, so I beg your pardon, <laughs> so, uh, or they try, to, they try to just to experience themselves. Yeah, okay. He's a TV presenter, a best-selling author, and Germany's leading YouTube doctor. Very lucky to have Dr. Johannes in the UAE and on the show this afternoon. And we're talking anxiety. Um, I've got lots to talk about off-air. <laughs> I'll, I'll save my private consultation for during the headlines. Anytime. 
got um, a number of messages that I want that I want to come to. Um, one here, um, it's anonymous, and whether you're getting in touch now or for our legal clinic later, you can be anonymous. It's absolutely fine. Saying, if you go on anti-anxiety meds, how do you know when it's safe to come off them? So before we go to that, let's talk treatment. So talking there earlier, you know, it's very normal to have worries, to have reasons to get stressed or, or anxious, and it can be life-saving, life-preserving life a lot. But when it is inhibiting your way to move around the world, to live your life, to embrace experiences, that's when you might need some help. What are the treatment methods that you have used, observed in the past, that can be really effective when it comes to anxiety? Well, first of all, you, you really know, uh, need to know um, how far people are on the road of anxiety. Um, it can get very, very far. Um, and the earlier you spot it yourself, the earlier you know, people want to help you or you know, you, if you trust in your partner and he tells you, you know, this is not healthy anymore, let's, let's do something about it. The earlier you treat it, the better the chances are uh, to, to, to get away um, healthily. Um, in anxiety, usually there's always a positive outcome. Um, so you can either um, just decrease the burden or um, heal from it 100%. And if we talk about medications, we are down the road quite a bit. So usually what you would do before is just you know have the regular sessions with your psychotherapist, um, trying to understand your anxiety, trying to understand the, 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 the mechanisms behind it and the, the, you know, whatever your habits are which might have gotten you there. And then you try to, um, to get away from it, um, either by, by deconditioning, etc. There's, there's many ways. They, they work usually beautifully well. But if you, if you are at a point where you need medication, you've, you've you tried it all. Um, so so um, it, to me, it's the escalation at the very last step is medication. And back to this message saying, how do you know when it's safe to come off them? And I, I mean, I, it was really interesting because I had postnatal depression. So I was on um, SSRIs for, for quite a number of years. And in the end, the doctor said, I actually feel fine, but I'm really scared come off this medication because who knows what's on the other side precisely um but you know i'm, I'm a big fan of medications um they do work they do work usually tremendously well but they do have side effects mm -hmm. and you need to know when it's when they did their job and i think you've got to do your job as well you know they're enabling you to to work on yourself while you have that as, it's, a, as, it's, as a tool it's we see it in other you know the fields of our daily lives as well you, you cannot just eat whatever you like and then have this magical you know medication taking the pounds off so and mm -hmm. um, it is a tool you can use and you can use it correctly you can use it incorrectly you can use it you, you can adjust your lifestyle that it's working more efficiently but you are the expert so if 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 you're the patient you're the expert you're also the captain of your boat it's not the doctor who's your captain you are the captain and the doctor is the first officer helping you to navigate so when your wish is to to try to come off the medication then you know you can wish it or you can even demand it from your doctor um, and then you try it out. Um, I love this when people say, you know, I would like to try how I can get along in another way, mm -hmm. um, but, but do it with professional help. Um, I've seen many, many times where people took the medication or, you know, went off the medication themselves and usually we had to intervene Set and it, yeah, it, went, it went wrong. Okay. Uh, Dr. Johannes with us today. Um, what about demystifying getting mental health help? Because, we, you know, we... I think you obviously are very much in this space. I'm lucky enough to speak to some amazing doctors. And to me, getting therapy, and as I mentioned there, being on medications is very much normalized. But I think for actually a huge number of people listening today, the thought of going to get therapy feels very other and not really knowing what to expect, what might be on the other side of that clinic door. 
Yeah, would you mind speaking to that a little bit? So, so what I would do is, um, depending on how severe, usually we have a very good feeling about ourselves. So if you have the feeling that you're in, an, you know, in, in a place where you're not comfortable but it's not severe, then you can um, also talk to coaches, but be, be aware there's many bad eggs, um, mm-hmm. there's some good ones. Um, they can actually help to some extent and they can help you to, to feel more motivated to get the professional help you need um, and they can still coach you through your life. Um, I love GPs. So if your general practitioner um, is someone you trust, go to him, talk to her, you know, whatever works for you. Um, and these are the easy steps. Then also, sometimes it's a colleague or your neighbor, somebody who you're not that close to, who you can open up to much better and, you know, who keep things to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk, find someone to talk about it. I'm not the biggest fan of online groups, you know, like these chat groups, because sometimes they, it's a slippery slope. Sometimes they go into the wrong direction. But if, if you find someone to talk, about it, um, who's not too close to you, who's not relying on you. I mean, don't talk to a 16-year-old kid. Um, don't talk to your husband if he can take it or he, if he's vulnerable in yeah. that position as well. But talk. Talking about it, people feel, we, 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 you know, it, it, it's literally taking the weight off your shoulders when you talk about it. You are new to the UAE, but obviously very experienced with working with people in Europe across a whole range of different backgrounds. But I wondered what your first impressions were. What do you think is causing anxiety for the good people of the UAE? Apart from the rain today. Well, oh man, I'm from northern Germany, so this, this rain is, is fine. Home. This is, you know, in, in, in northern Germany, we say that summer are the best three days of the year. So, so this is this is my feel good uh, Welcome. temperature. Yeah. Welcome home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, what I do see here is that um, there's certainly different groups of people having different challenges in life. Um, I mean, the Emiratis um, have a very different, you know, challenge to 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 hosting us in a way mm-hmm. as, as expats etc but the expats and people who live here they feel immense pressure so they want to perform they want to be the best parents for their kids they want to be the best you know guys in the business unit they want to um, develop their own ideas they want to host the best party so the, the major issue I see is that the, this immense pressure we put on ourselves nobody's actually expecting it from us mm-hmm. you know kids love it when we just hang around the house you know and, and kids love it if you just you know say well yeah that's enough homework uh, and, and the C is, you know, just as good as an A. Um, and if the party has, you know, not enough drinks or, or it's not everything is picture clean, it's fine. So, so you, usually we should start it ourselves. And the pressure here to perform and to be perfect is immense. Thank you so much for your time today. As I said, you have got YouTube channel, book, mostly in German, we should say. But in terms of resources, what's the and online, of course, where's the best place to find you, Dr. Johannes? Um, uh, Instagram. So, so um, Instagram in German right now. We are going to set up one in English and uh, I'm learning a little bit Arabic as well. Well, oh, I've been my. here 17 years. So you're well ahead of me, sir. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I thought it's, it's, it's a sign of, uh, you know... Um, just gratitude and appreciation well i'm really well we're really grateful to your time today now one of the great privileges of my job in my life is getting to meet inspirational people who make us think about life or the world or our families or ourselves in a different way and so honored to introduce you now to zoltan randesh a climate pact ambassador for the eu partner at sun uh, he was a war journalist for years before starting that entrepreneurial journey. Single father to a 12-year-old boy that he travels the world with. And thank you for being with us today. 
Helen, how are you? And good afternoon, Dubai. And hope we can make this windy and rainy afternoon more sunny for you. We're uh, bringing we're bringing the warmth and sunshine today. Yeah. We are talking travel, so I think people could get a little bit of wanderlust and itchy feet over the next hour. But I would love, if you don't mind, to start with you before we start talking about your son and your travels, because your journey from you know war journalism to entrepreneurship really inspiring can you can you tell us about what we need to know about what you've been through that's brought you to this stage now any pivotal moments or memories we should know about yeah that's that's a long story but i tried to try to put it in a nutshell and um, so i very early in my life i started to travel and live abroad like i went to partially i went to high school in england then got my master's in the u.s and uh, um like traveling just became business as usual for me and uh, I studied marketing business and marketing uh, but uh, through a I don't know it's a, a lucky accident I became a war correspondent and I started to work for several European networks and then I traveled around and that gave gave me a whole new perspective where did it take you uh, took me to uh, the sudden Slavic uh, crisis, Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, three uh, civil wars in Africa, tornadoes, hurricanes, volcano eruptions, floods, uh, dem- huge demonstrations, anti-globalization demonstrations. So I think I've seen them all. and uh, But it gave me a whole new perspective did you notice yourself kind of changing along the way? Yes. I, and I don't want to say being desensitized, but I guess being a bit more perhaps pragmatic about what you were seeing. And did you notice that at the time? It's a, it's, it's a weird thing because uh, on one side I became way more pragmatic and a quick, you know, quick decisions, see through everything in a second. On the other side, I think, and I'm going to say it as it is, I grew faith. So it's hard to, you know, you f- your faith has to be earned, and it's a, it's a long journey. And through all these disasters and wars, you start to start to love life, uh, and 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 start to feel that. Uh, uh, there is so much to believe in in this world. So finding and seeing the beauty and the positivity amid rubble disasters. There is no chance. Like, you know how war correspondents are. Like, if, you, if you're stuck in, in the evil there, then uh, you become an alcoholist and you, will have, you have to go to sh- a shrink and spend the rest of your lives just regretting. Well, this is the thing, and I think, that, I think a lot of people will relate to this on perhaps on a smaller scale in terms of what's happening in the world now. Um, you know, being exposed to images, to situations, and basically re-traumatizing yourself every single day. We're not, we're not built for it as humans, we're not. Yes, and you need to find the miracles in this. You need to find the good. You, sometimes you have to look hard mm-hmm. for Dig the deep. good. But there are people who kind of, you know, uh, elevate their, I don't know, elevate their faith and that gives them strength to help mm-hmm. uh, the ones in need, to fight evil, uh, to, you know, these are the real heroes. Uh, the common people, when they rise up to a challenge, and I believe that everyone can rise up to a challenge. Look for the helpers. Uh, Zoltan, as someone who has reported for, from conflict zones, how do you feel like your experience has informed your approach to business and even parenting? Well, quick decisions help in both. <laughs> so, Keeping a cool head. Yes, and uh, you know you have to be confident and you have to be modest. 
uh, those are again contradicting but uh, in some ways uh, you have to have some kind of uh, uh, of being modest to your child because uh, this, this so I think of my child as uh, as an adult but smaller okay. so with less knowledge it's like a computer you haven't installed yet and uh, you need to respect that and so I, I think first lesson for me is give respect from day zero so uh, it, it's a miracle when he was born and I held him in my hands it was just the biggest miracle of my life and uh, from there you have to take that feeling until you let him fly away from your home and uh, I think uh, quick decisions of when you're beginner parent like you cannot learn this from books there's nothing in the books which actually help you read them you're prepared for a lot of things and then and then you're on the front line yes <laughs> and then something else happens uh-huh. so I'm a very protective and over worrying father and uh, I uh, but I did like I changed diapers like a king like Boss. And I would half, with half with just half of my hand and the other I was just holding up you know you were uh, writing an article the pacifier <laughs> <laughs> I don't know so it was that those parts the practical parts were easy and I think business is the same you have to be very confident on the fields where you're good at and you need to be you need to be taking court in those things but when you don't know something uh, you, you cannot take credit and you cannot start to be confident and cocky about uh, humility yeah yeah all right well we're going to talk travel next uh zantal radesh is with today uh former war correspondent entrepreneur single father to a 12 year old we're going to talk about how travel can be a transformative experience and why so many of us start once we have kids to put our suitcases away and let them get dusty we're getting those suitcases out next Joining us live is Zoltan Randesh. He is an entrepreneur. He is a single father to a 12-year-old boy and a former war correspondent. We're talking about what travel can teach us. And I feel like I'm, I'm so full of admiration that people who continue to have these amazing adventures once, you know, the, once the family grows bigger and bigger. And I wondered, you talked earlier so, so beautifully about you know, what your work in conflict zones taught you. What about travels to more relaxing places and maybe even pre-kids what were some of your favorite travels then well I always loved the sea I'm a sea and desert enthusiast so anything with a salty liquid on the side is good for me and also if there are huge bodies of desert without plants at all just the huge waves of sand I love it so I think early on those were the places which just hit me that this is what I want this just you know connected me to to the to nature and ever since uh, we spend a lot of time in in uh, in deserts and seas so now how did things change when your son came along did you continue to you know pack the backpack and and head off to perhaps you know the, the lesser the lesser known destinations First, I thought it's going to be way more organization. And of course, when he was smaller, you needed to pack a lot of things, oh, extra gosh. things. Yeah. And uh, 
But then uh, I kind of figured it out that you can swing this and uh, and you can just improvise uh, getting there. And I did that, and everybody helps with you know a, a single dad with a with a little boy. Everyone is helpful. He's the he's the he's the greatest father on earth. Okay, but come come on, be honest though. Any disasters in those early years? There must have been a few punamis and spare clothes required and. Uh, Forgetting things. Please make us feel normal, Zoltan. Uh, well, uh, Oliver, my son, is a very, a very talkative little person and uh, uh, very early on in his life started to order from his room in a hotel. Room service. Room service. So <laughs> there were some, those were the kind of, you know, surprises I got that he, you don't let Oliver alone With in a phone. hotel because you're going to get uh, you're going to get a bill at the end of the day which but you know <laughs> I kind of admire the entrepreneurial spirit there yeah um, we're going to be talking this afternoon about where you've been and what it's ultimately taught you and I guess why so many people should be getting out of their comfort zone when it comes to travel and it's something that I'm really passionate about but maybe not something I follow through that much in terms of really getting off the beaten track a big part of that is having a very fussy eating child and i'm like part of me thinking maybe we should just shove a shove her in a situation and see if she sinks or swims or you know goes home a few kilos lighter zoltan renders with us through until three o'clock today This hour, though, we are talking travel. Zoltan Rendesh with us today. Father to 12-year-old boy traveling the world. And I guess I want to ask about that why. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky here to live in Dubai where it is so diverse. And I don't say this with any meanness, although it is maybe a little bit patronizing. But when I think about the, the lives that my friends back in our home country are living, and I look at their schools and I look at the families and everybody looks the same and everyone's eating the same thing and I feel like my kids are really blessed to be growing up where there is such diversity and I, I hope a lot more open-mindedness um, but travel I think can take that to the next level can we talk about this I guess the this the quest for open-mindedness inclusivity yes, yes I uh, first of all uh, I always had this idea that I'm not uh, a national of any country or a citizen I was born to be an inhabitant, a human being on this planet. And this is my home. And I want Oliver to learn that, that uh, this life is too short not to live it to the fullest, not to use all your home. So if you want, if you want to know your kind, your species, which is getting endangered now, you need to go around, you need to go up to people. And first travel, I think the first step for traveling is teaching kids to be communicative and uh, to not to be shy of meeting people. I think this, we live in a shy world. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm very confident walking into, you know, to a fresh hell and, uh, and I'm, I'm making friends, uh, even at war. Uh, even he must have learned a huge amount from you. I mean, we use this term modeling behavior all the time, but, you know, to see his, his dad going into situations where you might not know anybody, where you're trying to look up, you know, where do we stay? What do we eat? Where should we go? You know, asking those questions, showing him how it's done is huge. Who taught you that? I don't know. Along I th the way. I think it's just, uh, maybe I was born like this. Maybe I picked it up. I, I can't remember, honestly. I was always very confident about, uh, um, you know, getting the basics covered, like eating, where will we stay. And so I didn't care. I, 
I, of course, with a kid, you need to care about where do you stay and you need to have like the transportation and everything figured out. But uh, mostly, uh, I think uh, you you just need to need to look at it as an adventure and and improvise on the way. And, uh, and I think I'm, I'm just good in that. You have to be confident about what you what you can do. I want to know where you've been. Now, Oliver's twelve now. Yes. Off the top of your head, where have you travelled to together? Last trip was huge for him. It was New York City. And since he is in love with Dubai, that's his favorite place on earth. But he came here first when he was four. For a four-year-old kid, like, this is Disneyland. It's the future. On adrenaline. Yeah. Like, yeah. And ever since, he loves Dubai. He And uh, I wanted to show him why they call New York the greatest city on earth and how it inspired Dubai in a way. And uh, it was lovely trip because I kn- know New York very well, so he, we, I could show him in detail and in depth. And he would remind me that you know, like uh, this was inspired in Dubai by this place, which I could not have recognized. He's putting those pieces together. Fresh eye and fresh pair of eyes. And also, he already saw that New York is kind of re-inspired by Dubai with the new area at the, where the Intrepid is, uh, at Hudson uh, Riverside. And uh, it's, uh, it's just amazing. And before that, uh, I, I think it was really, a really good trip. We did a North Africa adventure with a focus, of course, for a 12-year-old. And this is a trick he, I think all parents need always find uh, the pop culture relatable places like we did the whole north africa around indiana jones and star wars love it and uh, and, and meanwhile we were in the fourth the most sacred mosque and he enjoyed it uh, we went to we went to historical byzantine uh, roman uh, and muslim places and he loved it but of course the next Interesting, really interesting stuff was something related to Star Wars. Half of that is related to Berber culture, actually. I think it's. I think that's a really interesting point that we do find ourselves, and I say this from experience, when we have kids doing very kid-centric trips, and then you're like, oh gosh, I don't want to go to you know this theme park. I'm actually, I do love a theme park. That's a lie, but you know, you know, kind of going to places that only serve you know the the kid food, or and then. Our, our holiday is precious, right? Our time, our money is really precious. So I, I love this idea of, I guess, kind of meeting in the middle and everybody getting some, something out of it. It's, I wouldn't say it's even meeting in the middle. I, 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 it, these trips are fantastic. And I, I, Star Wars is part of my life, too. And Indiana Jones, like, I was brought up on, on Indiana Jones. And he's my hero. And it's, it's amazing that we can, like, uh, hold each other's hands through ages and still have the same icons and idols. And we use that. Also, like we did Scotland, Highlands, Edinburgh, everything around Harry Potter. And it was great. I hope you went to Annick Castle. It's close yeah, to where my parents yes, live. Yeah. All right. Well done with us today. We're going to talk next about teaching independence and empathy through our travels. Had a couple of messages um, on this topic. Jules saying Vietnam was amazing for kids. And we're going to come to this next, Bilal, saying how about being in a remote area if there's a medical emergency? (music) 
talking this hour about what travel can teach us. Zoltan Rendesh is a climate pact ambassador for the EU, partner at Sun Money Solar, and was a war correspondent, single father to a 12-year-old boy. They're on a bit of a mission to see the world, yes, sometimes through the lens of Harry Potter and Indiana Jones, but also with a view of learning more about ourselves, about empathy. And I wanted to ask you about that independence piece before we talk about empathy, if you don't mind, Zoltan. Um, what are some of the things that you would love to see more parents, families doing to foster a sense of independence in their kids, especially when they're traveling? I think, uh, and, and this is going to sound bogus, but uh, you learn love by loving. You learn everything, like drive by driving. Same with independence. And also, uh, we, I think we need to give our kids the tools uh, that they love, each, love themselves and, uh, and to acknowledge how big of a privilege is it, to, uh, to be, it is to be alive. And I, I want to stop here for a moment, if I may, just for a second and, and just, uh, just reach out to our, our listeners. Uh, just stop now, whatever you're doing, just put it down. If you're driving, please don't stop because then the next police report will be about me. So stop for a moment and just think about it. You are alive. Like look at yourself and even say it out loud. I am alive. This is the greatest gift you are ever getting. Use it. You have one and use it and enjoy it enjoy it. wherever you are whoever you are enjoy your life because you are alive and that's a privilege i think if you if you give the tools to acknowledge that for your kids they are going to be independent and very sensitive and empathetic to other cultures and other people because the problem in my opinion uh, today is that we closed up we just, you know, just close the garage door even. And, uh, and that's not good. And we closed up because it's hard to love ourselves in this world. And especially in, in Dubai is different, uh, very different because of the diversity, uh, because of everything. But if you look at Europe and, uh, and the U.S., uh, we closed down in Europe. And uh, everybody is in the shell, back in their shell. We are afraid to love even. And uh, without risks, there are no gains. So when it comes to, I guess, any specific examples or places, situations you've been where you thought, wow, I've really seen a bit of a light bulb moment in Oliver I mean, in terms of recognizing something that someone has or, or doesn't have through the travels, anywhere come to mind, Alton? The most amazing thing about Oliver is watching him, how comfortable he moves around uh, very, very different cultures and, uh, and that he approaches people and talks to them and he is, uh, you know, he's an equal uh, uh, and in the dialogue and, uh, and he has questions and he answers questions and I love that. That's, you know, we need a generation of people to save the planet. You have to be curious and to care. Yes, and, uh, and I think it's every time we travel somewhere, I see something new about him uh, and that he's, he's now even better in that. And, uh, and, uh, but from a very early age, he was, uh, he was curious. And, and curiosity is, I think, a basis you can build on. 
and you need to brand it and market it for your kids and then they automatically become this and I think that's important yeah can we talk about the practical side because I love the idea of you know packing off and going somewhere remote or even you know New York is definitely on my list in terms of cities but Bilal raising a good point saying what about medical care if you're somewhere remote well, I'm very experienced, of course, in uh, first aid and all that. I, uh, I treated my own wounds like shrapnel, stabbing, uh, even uh, like I have this here. I, I did this. This from a mirror on my... Well, it's, it's radio, I know. It's not TV. <laughs> He's but, showing off his scars. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to take off my shirt now. <laughs> so... Um, so I'm very experienced in that. And we always have a mat pack. Uh, you know, you just don't panic. And it's like you cannot go off, uh, of course, the, the map without having a mat pack with you and mm-hmm. without having a CPR exam and, and, and first aid and to know about that. And you hope that you never need to use these things, but you've got the peace of mind, I guess, the confidence to go yes. into the world knowing that you do. Last question for you, Zoltan. Where are you going in 2024? Where are you packing your bags for? 2024. That's a difficult question because we have a lot on our plate. Like uh, Oliver really wants to, because uh, he has spent a lot of time in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and he wants to see the rest. Uh, like go up to Hatta, Rock, uh, Sharjah, uh, even Uek, uh, and, and all that area. So that's up for a discovery trip. And uh, and uh, West Coast Los Angeles also. Fantastic. So uh, that those are the two uh, things now in uh, the in our uh, on our bucket list. But he will come up with new ideas. I'm pretty sure when I got, get back home, he will have a new idea where well, to go. Well, give that boy a YouTube channel. Zoltan, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. Zoltan Madesh speaking to us, former war correspondent, entrepreneur, uh, passionate about the environment and about seeing the world. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. Talking property now with Chris Morn, the Dubai Marina sales manager at House and House. We are broadcasting live from Blue Water today. We are here at the ARN Business Club. And my goodness, this is a lovely part of town. How are you, Chris? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, go on. The mic is yours. What makes you so angry you want to smash stuff? I was going to say driving standards, but you took that from me. <laughs> Listen, um, I think I think we're going to get a lot of that on four zero zero one. You can own it if you want I it. Queue skipping—that's <gasps> a big one for me. Oh yeah, I, I get a very strong sense of justice about this. Yeah. Okay, all right, that's Chris Morns. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about happier things. Um, how long at House and House, and what do you love about working in in real estate in particular? Um, I've been there six years now. Oh. Next month, six years. Uh, I love the environment we work in, the culture of. Of our office, I think that there's lots of opportunities here. Yeah, um, I worked in real estate for going on what 12 years back in the UK. Coming out here, been a house and house from the start. And uh, well, we're glad back. you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I've been in Dubai 17 years now, and back in the day, JBR was where everybody lived. Like Marina was the place, and it was being built around us as we had some great nights out and uh, and uh, the rest of it. Um, it has evolved and matured an awful lot. And as I said, we're broadcasting from Blue Waters today. Um, what is going on in the area? What, you've obviously got the inside track there, Chris, in terms of news and developments. What do, we, what do we all need to know about this part of town? There's always lots going on. I think there's running out, we're running out of space now in the marina in terms of plots. There's not a huge amount left. Mm. Um, but where there is space, it is now being developed. Uh, when I moved here six years ago, there were plots in the marina that were half-built, uh, concrete shells. 
I'm now seeing people working there now, mm-hmm. uh, which is really exciting for me to know that we've come so far um, and there's lots and lots of progress. But places like here where we are in Blue Waters, unbelievable. Uh, when I moved here, we just handed over and it's growing. It's thriving. I mean, we're here at the Banyan Tree this afternoon, but, you know, in terms of restaurants, shops, you know, lifestyle as well. Um, do we see a particular demographic in this part of town in terms of people that you are, you know, selling to and, and, and working with and notice any patterns or is it quite diverse? I think it's very diverse. We deal with a whole range of different people from different backgrounds, um, different ages. It's, it, it's a great environment to be in um, because there are so many different styles and types of properties as well, whether they're new or old. Are they? Because yeah. I, I, I always think about here and I'm like, it's just all, it's all apartments. Well, Blue Waters specifically, yes. Yeah. Uh, you do have townhouses but there are one beds up to four beds, uh, apartments, and then some large four-bed townhouses, a few penthouses here as well. Um, I was mainly talking really uh, about the marina. Um, mm. Very, very different types of buildings there. Probably hundreds of developers, hundreds of buildings, um, very different styles, different sizes, older, newer. So it's quite exciting seeing different things every day. So what's popping when we're thinking about things that you can't keep on the books? Are there any particular developers that people are looking for? Any buildings that are really, really popular with people buying in particular? We cover a few different subsections. So Marine is our sort of main base and we work out from JLT, JBR, Emar Beachfront, Dubai Harbour and uh, Blue Waters. Um, the latter, Blue Waters and Emar Beachfront, Dubai Harbour are the most popular um, in my opinion, they're also the most expensive, <laughs> but they are the newest as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice, shiny new buildings tend to attract a lot of people, a lot of investors, a lot of end users as well. Um, but I would say, yeah, it's quite, it's quite shared really in terms of demand for those. As I said, JBR was where an awful lot of people I used to you know, hang out with, go out with um, back in the day. What are we seeing when it comes to people looking at these properties that might be you know, 10, 15 years plus and wanting to put their own stamp on it? Are we, are we seeing many kind of even renovations of the next generation of people coming in? I think in the last year or two I've noticed that massively because they are quite old fashioned. Um, they're going on 15, 20 years now. Mm. Um, in some of those towers. I mean, it really makes me laugh because I, I grew up in, you know, like a Roman village in England <laughs> to say that something's like, oh, it's older, it's 20 years, I find hilarious. But yeah, you're, in terms of Dubai, it is the life cycle of I the place. I say to people as well, old to me is Victorian. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'm like, where's the corner sink? <laughs> There's right. no fireplace, That's what's right, yeah. going on? <laughs> um, so old here is 20 years. Uh, but yeah, they are looking a little bit dated now. Um, but a lot of people are changing the interiors and that's quite nice to see because they're all quite unique when they've been done. Mm. Whether it's people wanting to live there and, and, and make it more comfortable for themselves or investors are seeing great returns from these upgraded places. Um, it's always great to see those as well. Chris Moore with us today from House & House. Up next, we're going to be talking trends for 2024. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House & House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. Chris Maud is in the studio. He is the sales manager for Dubai Marina. and We are broadcasting live from, from Blue Waters, but we can talk about JBR, about Dubai Marina. And I guess I want you, I want you to convince me to leave my, my little suburban life and come to where, I guess, where the party is still going. What do people love about living at this end of town, Chris? I think the variety. You can find almost anything that you'd like here in terms of sizes of places. Um, like I said before, types of places, uh, layouts. Locations are very different here as well. Although there's like five subsections of, of the area, um, if you want to be on the beach, you can be. If you want to be tucked away in the marina, you can be as well. Uh, or on one of the, the two islands that we cover, mm-hmm. Dubai Harbour and, uh, and Blue Waters. I think there's uh, a lot of variety. Um, price per square foot, 
is also pretty good if we get a bit more technical um, in comparison to, to other locations. Uh, there's just an awful lot of demand here, and I've seen that progress since 2018 to now. What about the demographic of people you're seeing in terms of buying to occupy themselves versus buying as an investment? I can't really tell you that there's one more prominent than the other. I think that there's lots of investors, there's lots of end users, mm-hmm. um, there's a big, big mix. We deal with so many different customers. Um, we've got quite a large team, 12, uh, 13 of us that work in, in the marina and surrounding areas. And we're all daily speaking to new people, um, buying for very different reasons. I'd say more recently, maybe I'd have um, pre- predominantly more investors than end users. Um, and yes, you also look a little bit after off-plan as well. I do. Um, so that, that's an opportunity in this part of town. And it's a very well-loved, well-tested area as well. So I could imagine that being incredibly, incredibly popular. Right. Um, what about the going out? What about the restaurants? Where, you know, in terms of, this, I mean, looking around, you know, we're here at Banyan Tree. Absolutely beautiful place to live and work and socialise. I'm sure some people just don't leave the area. That's right. I mean, even the, uh, all of the shops and restaurants and bars out of Banyan Tree on Blue Waters, there's a ton of selection there. Um, in the marina, you've got so many hotels. And then the Palms only around the corner as well. You've got everything within quite easy reach. Um, very, very short taxi. Maybe not always a walk. But and close. in terms of if you were buying to, in- to invest, yep. where would the smart money be going? We know we, we've been talking in, across the shows about you know, there being an awful lot of apartments in Dubai, you know, we, we want Dubai to be encouraging people to stay longer and to grow and to have their families here. Um, is the smart money on maybe going for those less common, less available properties like your townhouses, like you, even your villas in this part? Or is, it, or is a one-bedroom apartment always going to be a, a, safe, a safe bed? I think, I'm obviously biased for my area, but I think it's always a wise investment here because the demand is always high. For short-term rentals, long-term rentals, um, it's always good. The, the occupancy levels um, we worked out fairly recently in the marina are the highest, or, sorry, the second highest um, area. You know, I want to know where's the highest. I, I don't know if I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, no. I love a bit of competitive spirit, but it's interesting. I've got a friend um, staying in town right now, and he's staying in exactly as you said with the family yep. in an Airbnb in the marina yep. for sheer ease, for the metro, for the mall, for you know, going out, dining out, and just you know, just enjoying this a really, really vibrant part of town. Chris, if anyone wants to get in contact with you. Um, would it be okay to send over your link on the website? Would that be okay? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Chris Moore with us from House and House today. Um, if you want his details, you can just send me send me the word property. It's probably the easiest way, and I'll send you his links. You can find out exactly. You have to be quick though. Find out what opportunities are around here on the investment front. It is your free legal clinic between now and five o'clock. Madeline Mendy with us today, partner and head of family law at Ben Seven Advocates. So, Madeline Mendy, what is keeping you busy? A lot of divorces at the moment. It's January, well, we're in February now, but um, beginning of the year, so plenty, plenty, plenty of cases uh, as New Year's Eve resolution. So, people's resolution is not be married next year? Or have a new life. Have a new life? Yes. Wow, wow. And you're the one there to facilitate the new life. Um, interesting. What were we seeing? Any? I don't want to say trends in divorces, but I am nosy. Is you know, in, and I'm not talking about. You know, well, I guess life stages and ages. You know, lots of is it first marriages, second? Yes, I, what I, are you I, noticing? I find. I don't know whether it's a Dubai trend or whether it's a divorce trend in general, but I see in Dubai, uh, and and the clients that I come across, 
it's either people get divorced within the first eight years, then you have a long gap once they've managed to get over the eight, nine years um, threshold uh, and they've managed to transition, then you have a long gap and then people come back when they've been married for 15, 20 years. I'm, I'm um, in the sweet spot for the next few years. Why yeah, do you think that might be, especially the second wave? I, I, the, the second wave, I think, well, first the first wave, people when people get married they learn to be with each other as husband and wife they probably welcome uh, children and then by the time they've reached year eight nine they either have a hang of it or they can't stand it so i think that's where people just decide to step away Mm. Um, and then the second wave it's generally when people are in are what hitting 50 you reassess your life you wonder whether and the children are grown as well Um, normally there'll be no I would say normally there's no norm anymore when it comes to marriages but generally they they would would be grown enough for you to be able to continue to have a relationship with them Mm -hmm. and uh, be able to step away from your marriage well, lots of questions for you, Madeline Mindy. So we are going to help out as many people as possible um, between now and five o'clock. Um, message here. And as I said, you can leave your name off. Or you, if you want to have a chat, Madeline, you can pick up the phone at 0487155500. Saying what if a divorce is one-sided, e.g. only one person in a marriage wants a divorce. The other doesn't see that there's a problem, even if they've had counselling. That's from A. Right. On the legal point of view, because I think there's two questions that morally, if someone doesn't want to stay married with you, then have more counselling to be able to to let go of that marriage. But on a legal point of view, uh, depending on religion, so if you are non-Muslim in the UAE, you can now have what we call a non-fault divorce. So you can't remain married to someone that you do not want to be married to. However, if you're Muslim, you will need uh, a justifiable cause and there have to be serious causes for you to be able to obtain a divorce. Okay, Madeline Mandy with us today. Gerald saying, until what age is a father financially responsible for his children in the UAE? Oh, so for non-Muslims, generally it is 21, although we've had some case law recently where um, children have been removed from the maintenance at 18 and they are then able to do standalone uh, application for maintenance against their father. So suing their father? Yes, Wow. Uh, for maintenance. We have that also in England already. It's not uh, a popular, as you can imagine, uh, a step, but it's a step that is available to people, and it's now available in the UAE. For Muslim children, however, it's 21 years old. And that is both genders? Yes. Muslim children, it's 21 for boys and girls until they marry. Okay. So, yeah. Gerald, great question. Um, we are talking divorce on the show this afternoon. I just want to come back to something you said before, which was about, you know, if, if, what, if, it's, if a divorce is, one, is one-sided. I mean, how much counselling can be involved in your job, Madeline, you know, in terms of speaking to someone and saying, well, someone doesn't want to be married to you. Why do you want to be in that, in that marriage? And I guess do a lot of people see counsellors alongside seeing a, a family yes. lawyer? For, for me, it is the, the first stop that every individual needs to go through before going to see lawyers, before even saying the D word, mm-hmm. um, they should go and see counsellors. As, as a couple, but also on, a, on an individual basis, you have great counsellors in towns that can assist. You also have marriage courses that are run uh, by some churches to enable people to just um, we had to do, learn. We had to do that before we got yes. married. And it was really interesting. I kind of rolled my eyes at it because we were married in church. Yes. And we had to go, and ours was, I think, quite 
you know, as one day. But I think, you know, certainly in some churches, it's um, a lot more involved. Yes. But it, and it wasn't necessarily religious, but it, it talked a lot about, it talked about the five languages of love, which I thought was really interesting. It talked about conflict resolution, which my husband and I kind of joke about, which is like, when you do this, it makes me feel like that. You know, and I'm sometimes I'm really angry, like, why do you do this? <laughs> makes you want to wring your neck. Um, but it also talked about how well you know your partner so we had to do a kind of almost like a questionnaire at the beginning in terms of you know everything from you know how much do they earn to you know how happy was their childhood you know when are they at their most relaxed and I think you know unfortunately we don't often sit down and talk about the big stuff before the ring goes on the finger. That's the thing and I think because of the nature of the legal system previously people got married just to come into Dubai, mm-hmm. people got married because they wanted to live with each other. Yeah, or baby comes and, along and unexpectedly. And baby comes along. So yeah. you have relationships, that, like what I call rushed relationships, uh, where people got married not because they wanted to get married, but because they had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often there are those that we find three or four years down the line um, where they don't really know much about each other and they're, and they're struggling. Mm-hmm. So for me, marriage counselling is key. Uh, individual counselling as well. And that's not marriage counselling with the view necessarily to going, we must make this marriage work. No. But, but if this marriage is, is going to be dissolved, how can we do it to protect our sanity, but also that of the children if they are involved? Yes, and, and protect your relationship. Because mm. even when you get divorced, you still have a relationship as parents that's going to last forever. For those children, if you ask them to draw their family, they'll draw their divorced parents. Um, and, and, and that's the way it should be. Children are victims of divorces. And the reality is, when you go to counselling, even if it is mar- you feel that your marriage can't be salvaged, it's at least a platform where the two of you can come in, sit down, feel that you're not being judged, and you have an impartial person that can help you find a middle ground as to how you're going to get divorced. Because as soon as you come to lawyers... Um, the gloves are off. The gloves are off, and you're going to pay. We're there for the money. Madeleine Mendy with us today. We've had a message asking, can an ex challenge a divorce agreement on a yearly basis? I took out a loan for my husband in my name, and now we're separating. What happens to the debt? Um, and false allegations as well when it comes to citing reasons for divorce. That's what we're talking about next. Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances. Family lawyer extraordinaire Madeleine Mendy with us today as we broadcast live from the ARN Business Club. Um, You're a popular woman. Okay, we're going to try and help out as many people as possible between now and five o'clock. Elle says, can an ex challenge a divorce agreement on a yearly basis? Is divorce agreement, what does that constitute, do you think? And how can you challenge things? I think you need to break it down. An ex can challenge child maintenance on a yearly basis. So the financial side. But not the full financial side, because... When you, when you look at the financial side, I'm going to get technical here, you have the division of assets, so properties, bank accounts, and cash and savings. But you also have then the monthly amount of money that's given by one spouse to the other. Generally here in the UAE, the husband to the wife to look after the children. If she has custody of the children, that amount you can go every year and request for it to be reviewed in the event that your, spouse, your ex-spouse's um, income has changed well, that's what I wanted to ask you. What does a person have to disclose 
pay slips, you know, all of that? They will to the court. So what will happen, let's say someone gets divorced on the 15th of March, 2020, got divorced on the 15th of March, 2023. On the 16th of March, 2024, they can go to the court and say, uh, my child's financial needs have changed. My understanding is my ex-husband has, or my ex-wife, not ex-husband, it's normally the ex-husbands who pay maintenance here in any event, uh, has more income. I want the amount to be reviewed to X amount. Then um, pay slips and bank statements will be provided to the court. Sammy's saying, how do you calculate child support payments if the father is freelance, on commission, or has his own business, e.g. the salary is fluctuating? So it, it, that's, a, that's a very good question, but very hard to answer because the court also struggles with trying, to, um, with, with trying to ascertain how that should be calculated. What they normally do is they'll look at the bank statements over the last 12 months and look at the lifestyle. So uh, I've had clients, and I'm sure if they hear me, they'll smile, who were, had an income over 70,000 dirhams years ago and uh, would put in a salary certificate. Uh, to the court, an income of fifteen or ten thousand dirhams. Well, you get caught quite quickly, normally, and I stress normally, um, because they look at your income. If you're if you're driving a very expensive car, <laughs> you've done DIFC five ti- five nights a week. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, there are ways and get, means. Yes, they are. If you've got any questions on that specifically, you're more than welcome to reach out. Staying with money, though, Nicole's asking on the text line. I took out a loan for my husband in my name, and now we're separating. What happens to the debt? You're on the radio, so you can't see my face. She just made a really sad, <laughs> despairing face. It's um, it's a situation that I find a lot. Never take a loan out in your name if the money is not for you or whatever is being bought is not going to be put in your name. I have ladies uh, or, or even men sometimes who take out loans uh, to buy properties and properties are not in their name or to help in buying a car and the car is not in their name. Do not do that because when if you get divorced in the UAE, if the debt is in your name, you'll keep it. It's not a matrimonial debt. The only way you could try and have the debt um, divided in two as a matri- what we call a matrimonial debt is if you were, for example, a British national and you went and got divorced in England. That's okay. the only way. Otherwise, you're stuck with it. Nicole, hope that helps um, and all the very best. Madeleine Mendy with us today. It is always a busy hour when Madeleine Mendy joins us live. She is here to talk about family law today. She is the partner at Bin 7 Advocates. Right, to the text line we go, Madeleine Mendy. Um, a message here saying, we're both divorced, both currently residing in the UAE. If one of the ex-spouses has a domicile in the UK, is it possible for the other ex-spouse, while still a resident in the UAE, to initiate a financial or child custody case in the UK? Right, I need to dissect that a little bit. <laughs> First, the UK. Um, there are several countries in the UK, so we need to establish whether it's England and Wales, who they have the same legal system, and then Scotland uh, and Northern Ireland have a different legal system, their own legal system. So if the person is domiciled, doesn't mean that they live there, but they, are, uh, they identify England as their home, you are able to issue financial proceedings there, However, if she said if they've already been divorced, the only financial proceedings you'll be able to issue in England is something, it's quite technical now, so called a part three application, if you didn't get a fair settlement in your divorce in the, in the uh, Dubai court. Okay. Um, Madeline, we talked earlier about how 
you can have a non-contest divorce um, as a non-Muslim, but if it's a Muslim divorce, there needs to be some very compelling reasons yes. um, in order for that to uh, in order that happen. Um, there's no mention here of religion, but I just wanted to flag it as something we were talking earlier. Um, anonymous Mesh is saying, in recent times, there seem to be an increasing number of instances where false allegations of domestic abuse are reportedly used as a strategy in contentious divorce proceedings. What measures can be taken to safeguard oneself against false accusations? And are there any significant legal consequences in the UAE for individuals who are found to have made a false allegation? Well, the government has already taken um, some steps to limit false allegation and they've made it compulsory for a domestic violence claim to be um, investigated by the police for there to be a report from Rashid Hospital, from the domestic violence unit from Rashid Hospital. So someone just coming with pictures or allegations won't won't result with the police uh, intervening. You will need that report from Rashid Hospital first. And then in terms of how that person, if if someone makes a false allegation uh, against someone, and defamation, it's in essence defamation. If defamation is proven, then it's a criminal offence. We've addressed this on the show before, but I think it's really worth reminding um, anyone who's been a victim of domestic abuse, even if they're not thinking about pressing any charges yes. or they're not thinking about getting yes. divorced at this stage, to go to Rashid Hospital, have it documented. That's right. I, I had a lady earlier today, and I say and I say the same thing. So she said, "Well, but, but Maddie, I don't want, I don't want my husband to be in trouble. He want the person won't be in trouble, whether it's your husband, your wife, your partner, boyfriend, or girlfriend. But at least you have a record of the incident taking place." Madeleine Mundy with us today, four zero zero one for any questions for her. We've had a lot of money questions today regarding divorces. Um, no name saying here. What happens if your soon-to-be ex-husband claims he can't pay for his children? Can he be forced to, quote-unquote, downgrade his lifestyle, e.g. sell his expensive car and not go out so much? Well, if there is a court order, he will be forced to continue paying the funds that are stated on the court order regardless. He will then have to make an application to the court if he wanted to downgrade the payment he's paying towards his children. If there is no court order, the court, uh, there are some basic payments under UAE law that a father has to make, um, and he will have to meet those. Okay. Um, P saying, um, if my ex-wife gets remarried, our kids are 14 and 17, are my monthly payments renegotiated? That's a question that I always get. Is it really? Um, they shouldn't be, because... If your divorce settlement was written properly, you would have had... So in terms of your maintenance for your children, well, they're your children, you pay for them. Whether there's another man on the scene, you have to pay for your children. That, that cost doesn't change. But the housing element of the, of, the, um, of the child maintenance should be reduced. So what should have happened when, you, when the divorce agreement uh, was drafted was the child maintenance and then the housing element, and the housing element is reduced when there's a third party involved, but only the housing element. That's really interesting because do you have a number of men, as we're talking about a lot of men making the payments in the UAE, going, oh, sweet, she's getting married and he's doing all right, so yes. my, my monthly costs are going to go down. I have clients that often want that cost to go down by 50%. And, and, and well, your child doesn't eat less because someone else is, a, someone else is, a, is on the scene. So just have to pay. Just got to pay. Now, you talked about this earlier, um, which was about... 
mediation, actually, I think, for one for a better phrase. KJ saying, hello, both. I'm looking for a mediator to help me and my husband navigate a divorce. We want someone who can talk to us about the pros and cons of divorce um, uh, from where we are versus UAE. I'd like to work with the mediator to help us decide the best move forward with the divorce, but also help us agree on fairly splitting everything so we both feel happy with the arrangement. Does such a service exist? The problem is a mediator is not a lawyer. The, 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 the person asking the question is asking for someone that's going to help them get, uh, advise them in essence on how their assets should be divided. It's your lawyer's job to do that. Mm-hmm. What a good mediator does is they're able to bring your proposal and your spouse proposal and try and get the two of you to, re- to meet in the middle. But they can't provide you legal advice. You have to, even if you're going through a mediation process, you must go and check the um, agreement that you've reached with a lawyer. It's important you do that. Madeline Mandy, in your experience as a divorce lawyer, how petty can it get? (laughs) And I do want examples. You want examples? Yeah, I do. I want to be like, you know... I was just... So I don't know if you've started watching One Day yet on Netflix. No, I've heard of it. so good. I was just watching it last night and... Sorry, spoilers. He gets a divorce and he's in the car being like, she can have the barbecue. I, I haven't even got a garden, you know, like these kind of the, the minutiae, I guess, of, of divorces. But when someone's looking to point score to be really hurtful, um, I'm sure you've seen some really awful things. I've heard of situation, for example, that's, that's not petty, um, where uh, family pets were put down. They, what, they had a pet put down? Yes, uh, family oh pets God. were put down or... All the furnitures were smashed up uh, so that the, the other spouse couldn't take them. Um, I've had instances where um, I remember one of my first gifts in Dubai, the wife had cut up all of the husband's um, suits. suits, but he had an amazing watch collection that was worth about £230,000, and she'd smashed it with um, hammers. She should have gone to the smash room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. What had he done? Um, yeah, a third party involved. A third party involved. After a 25-year marriage. Yikes. Um, up next, it's a bit of a sensitive one, asking about a 12-year-old daughter who no longer wants to see her dad at the weekends. Um, what can we do about that? Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances. Madeline Mendy with us today. She is the head of family law partner at Bin Seven Advocates. And we are, it turns out, talking a lot about divorce this afternoon. Incredibly busy in February after a lot of inquiries in January. Um, this is an interesting, we've actually, we're going to try and get through three questions in the next few minutes. So a bit of a quick fire round, Maddie, if you don't mind. No name saying, based on your experience, are mental health issues considered in child custody decisions in the UAE? Additionally, What's the process for demonstrating in court that the other party has a significant mental health condition? Well, um, if it's a mental health issue that threatens the welfare of the child, then yes. If someone uh, is down and suffering from depression and needs to see a psychologist now and then, then that, that's not going to constitute an issue. Um, what I use as a benchmark is if the person is able to hold down a full-time or a part-time job, um, then it's difficult for you to rely on their mental health issues uh, in court. Okay, a good benchmark. Yeah, in terms of ability to you know, manage their time, yes. have financial earnings. Okay. 
A sensitive one here from Anonymous saying, um, our 12-year-old daughter no longer wants to see her dad at the weekends. Uh, he has a new partner she doesn't, that she doesn't like. I feel very uncomfortable forcing her to see him, but it's part of our agreement, and of course he's entitled. What does the law say? Any recommendations? Well, if you have an agreement and it's made into a court order, she has to see her father. That's the, that's the short story, the short answer. But... Uh, does she not want to see him at the weekend because she's a teenager and she now wants to hang with her mates? Does she not want to see him because he is hanging with his new partner and your daughter? Um, I mean, those issues have to be resolved. So it has to be that a frank conversation probably needs to be had with him if the issue is that she doesn't want to hang with the new partner. It's her right. This is her time with her father. And he just has to leave her for those few hours that she's supposed to have with him. It's um, daughter and daddy time. Very difficult, really difficult, because, you know, 12-year-olds, it's, you know, you're getting into yes. young adult territory yes. there in terms of knowing her mind. It's not like a seven-year-old or, you know, younger. Um, what do you feel like you want to talk about today? We've only got a couple of minutes left in terms of maybe addressing some of the issues we've touched on today from the messages coming in yes. or patterns that you're noticing with clients, Madeleine. Yes. One, one thing I've seen since the beginning of the year, already last year, but, but even more so at the beginning of this year, is a, a, a lot of... Uh, spouses, generally women, come to see me and they have no financial understanding of what's happening in their finances at home. They uh, often have a signatory card. They don't even have their own bank account. And you can get your own bank account, but often they don't. um, And they are just reliant on money that is put on a credit card every month. Whether you are about to get divorced or you have a fantastic relationship with your, with your husband or partner, you must keep an eye on your finances. Don't just rely on the other person. Not just because of divorce, but anything can happen. Uh, so it's important, and I stress that, financial, I won't call it literacy, but it's having a financial understanding of what's going on, where your money is, how much comes in, how much goes out. And the passwords. Yes. And- and as yes. you say, it's not just about necessarily a divorce. It could be, you know, someone Anything. passes away suddenly. And, exactly. it, and, and it's not just women. You know, it works, works both ways. Both ways. My mum's turned 18. She was like, Helen, no matter how happy you are with a boyfriend or if you get married, always have. She doesn't call it a get-out fund. But words, words yes. to that effect. Yes. Um, Good might, advice. Yeah. Doesn't need to know how much is in it or, or where it is. I have one. <laughs> It's just good sense. Um, Andy, for anyone that message we couldn't get to this afternoon or anyone that wants to seek your advice independently and, and privately, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? They can contact me via email or just reach us on our Instagram page. Thank you so much. If you want to send me the word law, um, I will send you Madeline Mendy's details. Thank you so, so much. You explain things so well, and I really, really value the time. Thank and you. to everyone that got in touch, I really hope you're okay. I'm happy that we're able to offer some insights, hopefully some comfort and a bit of an action plan for whatever situation you find yourselves in. And we do have our legal, legal clinic every single Monday afternoon. So whether it is employment law, uh, we talk property, you are always welcome to get in touch um, and we'll, we'll do our best to help. Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m.
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.